Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, session number 20. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. So we have a very special guest for you today. Renaud Laplanche is the CEO and founder of Lending Club. He has built Lending Club from scratch to really the largest player in our industry. And he's been the keynote speaker at both the 2013 and 2014 lender conferences. If you've been following this industry for any length of time, you will have seen him probably on TV. He's quoted in the newspapers, magazines. He is uh, out there a lot. So we are very, very pleased that he decided to do this interview with us today. And in this interview, I wanted to take a bit of a different approach. I I don't cover uh, a lot of the questions that you will likely have read about before. I wanted to cover a lot of new ground, ask questions that haven't typically been asked. So you will will find out a lot of new things about Lending Club today and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Renaud. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. Okay, so let's just get started. I wanted to ask you, how you came up with the name Lending Club, and uh, was there anything specific about the club aspect that appealed to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a while ago now, but basically the, um, I was in my uh, living room with my wife, and so we were discussing, uh, discussing names and, and doing research and, and trying to find a name that would be more of a uh, descriptive name. I mean, you you know, there there are these very uh, conceptual names that have more of an emotional appeal that really don't don't describe the product, Mm -hmm. triggers the right emotion. Uh, But on the flip side, there are names that are more descriptive. And considering that we were creating something entirely new, we thought there would be some benefit in really using a name that says what it is and uh, sort of take a little bit of the mystery out. And, and so in, in the category of descriptive names, uh, we wanted something that would sort of have the word lending or credit to really sort of say what it is, but also would convey the notion of peer-to-peer or, or notion of a community of people coming together and, and sort of entering into transactions together or pu- putting resources together so that that notion could be conveyed through the name, uh, through, through the word club. That, that's also ambiguous and can mean some other things, but there's I mean, the notion of a club as of people putting resources or interest together or you know, people who are joined, joined by a community of thinking or, or putting something putting something together, essentially. Right. Uh, was, was the, idea. The, the, the other part of it, I mean, the other appeal of the name club, was it, it also, it's also used in, in a few uh, instances to... Uh, it's it used in a few instances to convey the, the notion of getting a good deal. So it's like Sam's Club, for example. Right, right. Uh, sure. so it works well also from, from that standpoint. So now you've obviously got this brand pretty established now. Is the club aspect, do you think, do you think it's important to investors and borrowers today? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I think so. I mean, the, I mean, the two the two reasons I, I just talked about still yeah, very much stand true today. So then the the idea of okay, you, you put resources together and you, you get a better deal uh, is very much part of of our value proposition and of, of 
so not going to this centralized intermediary, but, but really doing things together among ourselves. So that works quite well. I think the so the feeling of a community and the so the uh, emphasis on social relationship between people uh, is is clearly not as as important now as it uh, as it was in the initial idea. Uh, but I think the the rest of the of cloud values. Uh, continue to be very strong and are really big part of the value proposition today. Okay, okay. So going back to those early days, I mean, obviously you, you entered, you started Lending Club at the very, really beginnings of this industry globally, and there was obviously no no guarantee of success back then. At what point along the growth trajectory of, of Lending Club did you did you really sit back and think, wow, this is, we are going to make it, we're going to be a successful and profitable company? When when was that? No, I think that's probably, so if you remember, initially the, um, the investor side of the platform was the, really the hardest to, to build. Yep. So the, the value proposition for the borrowers is delivered immediately. Mm-hmm. And you, you, get, you, you get along with an interest rate and, and, and you, you know what that value proposition is. On the investor side, you're really sort of taking more of a risk. And in the absence of track record, it's, uh, there's really not, not much that, that really tells you how much of a return you're, you're going to get. And it's, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a leap of faith uh-huh. at the time. So it took us time and, and, and effort and, and, and to, to really build that, that track record and earn the, the confidence from investors. So initially, a lot of investors were friends and family and, and the people we had a chance to pitch directly, right? It was very much sort of getting customers one at a time, one one on one one on one interaction. Uh, and I think the really the first time we thought, okay, it's really working and now it's gonna take off is when we, we got this first uh, fifty thousand dollar check in the mail from someone we never talked to. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we thought, okay, it's, uh, people are starting to hear about us and through no direct interaction, trust us enough to, to make a $50,000 check, which is, uh, meaning, uh, was meaningful to us, very meaningful to us at the time. Right. And, and then we, we learned what was, was meaningful for that investor as well. Sure. So, so uh, when, when was that roughly? In the spring of 2009. Okay, so you've been going almost two years by that stage. Yeah, although although we launched with the we launched the registered program uh, in October of '08, uh, so it was really right. six months after yep. we we started the, uh, the the registered program. Sure, sure, yep, yep. Okay, so you know today you're obviously a very busy guy. What can you just walk us through what you do on a typical typical work day these days? Oh. <laughs> So last year, uh, I made the, uh, the decision to, uh, to shrink the unit of time from one hour to half an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the good news is I can do more meetings in the day. The bad news is I now have 16 to 20 meetings <laughs> on any given day as opposed to, uh, to uh, six to eight. And so the, the interior combination of, of uh, internal meetings, so really sort of meeting with with the executive team, with with uh, so folks who need my input uh, to get things done, on, on on one hand, and on the other hand, meetings uh, or phone calls with the third parties, so whether it's press or um, so equity investors or uh, so potential or existing partners, 
texter, Java text uh, some some part of my day. And then the first component really is some blocks of time that I reserve to just think about strategic issues and possibly edit or draft uh, short documents and answer emails. Okay. Okay. Sure. So then, what are the internal metrics that you really keep a close eye on? As you know, what what are the things that that you focus on either daily or weekly or monthly basis that uh, that drives your business? Well, I think they generally have to do with of volume of transactions, credit performance, and cost to to the business. So it's already the, the three categories that I think are the most uh, the, the most meaningful to us. In the volume of transaction, there's sort of both sides of the platform, so long long listings on one side and and investors of load on on the other side, and the volume that really sort of where they both come together is the uh, origination uh, volume. Right. On on credit performance, we sort of track uh, very closely. Uh, vintages on a monthly, quarterly, and, and annual basis, and sort of every month there's a sort of portfolio analysis that, that looks at the performance of every vintage by grade, by channel, and by by term. So it's sliced and diced in, in many different in different ways. So Charmes Group has a very sort of granular version of that, and, and I get a a um, more sort of aggregate uh, version, and then we, we meet once a month to, to review the portfolio performance. But that's a big big part of my focus. Right. Um, and, um, and, and, and and the third one really is, is about cost. So looking at acquisition costs on both sides and, and operations costs. And, and uh, as you know, there's a big focus here in um, sort of taking costs down through automation and, and and to lower operations costs so that we, we pass on the cost savings to, to both borrowers and investors. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the fourth category is really sort of operating metrics around customer service, uh, really for, for the most part, and making sure the sort of wait time on the phone is as short as possible and most, phones get, most phone calls get answered and so on and so forth. Right, right. Okay. And then, so talking about those originations, you know, you've You've had, you've set up quite an impressive record now of, of consistently growing those originations at, uh, at, a, at a pretty much a, a fixed, um, a fixed rate each month. How are you managing to do that so consistently now for many, many years? Yeah, so it's really because we're, you know, we're, we're a marketplace. We have uh, sort of supply and, and demand, but we're in this fortunate position that the marketplace is neither supply nor demand constrained. Mm-hmm. So we, I mean, we, we have more sort of supply and demand than we're letting in on the platform on, uh, on, on both sides. So we can really choose our growth rate. And so we're, we're choosing uh, to set the growth rate at a pace that is that we believe is commensurate with good risk management, good planning, of operations, good internal controls, IT security, IT scalability. So all the things that could that could break when you go too fast with not enough planning time and and not enough attention to um, to the things that that really matter a lot to to our customers and and, and to us uh, in terms of of managing risk and, and making sure the platform is as, 
as safe and secure as possible for both uh, for both sides of the platform. Mm-hmm. So should we should we expect this growth trajectory to remain consistent? I mean, you're you're adding, you've done an acquisition, you've got small business lending. These obviously add to the the core business, um, but are we going to see this? growth stay consistent do you think it's going to accelerate what's what what are your thoughts on that yeah so we, we're, we're not uh making uh sort of projections available publicly at, at this stage right okay right. We, we we continue to grow i can tell <laughs> <laughs> right I can't, I can't i can't tell you how fast <laughs> okay okay fair enough fair enough so let's talk about the the, the team that you have there i mean You've, you've obviously, you've started this from, from one person, from one person company up to what are you over 600 now? How has that changed over the years? Like when you, when you first started, you know, you obviously had very different needs. Now you're, you know, you're going into doing an IPO at some point in the, in the, in the future. So what skills were critical then that have changed now with when you're looking to, to hire in your executive team? Yeah, yeah. So I think I mean the, the way I spend my time and what what I focus on has has changed a lot. Obviously, so from being a direct sort of operator to thinking more about strategy and really sort of empowering people to uh, uh, to operate and make decisions and and execute on on these decisions. Most of my time now is spent on. When it's when it's the internal focus, it's really spent on sort of company building uh, activities, including thinking about the sort of organizational design and and company culture and hiring process and training and development. So things that that will help build a very strong company for the for the very long term, and 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 that really come with scale. I think at, at the time. When I was interviewing every single new hire, there was really no need to have a very well articulated corporate culture mm-hmm. or, or to test against it because I had always in my head <laughs> I could talk to everyone directly. Right now that now that people get hired by of managers who were hired by senior managers who were hired by people that I hired, you were we three or four levels down. There's really more of a need to sort of formalize these processes and, and, and really be clear about the kind of people who we, we think are going to be successful at Learning Club. So the, the hiring process had to be more, uh, I think, more, more deliberate and, and better, better structured. Uh, and then, but then from then on, after the hiring process, as the, so the training and the onboarding of, of people and so forth, there, there's, there, I think there's a lot more, Structure and process that uh, that's necessary mm-hmm. with size, but it's really important to sort of build these processes and that additional structure in a way that doesn't temper creativity and 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 initiative and and people continuing to innovate and and create new solutions and that we we, we leave sort of enough space for for people to really sort of do do what they love and 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 contribute to. Uh, continuing to make Lending Club one of the sort of foremost innovators in, in um, financial services delivered for a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the uh, from the investor side, which is what most of the Lend Academy readers are interested in. You were quoted recently in a Forbes article um, saying that uh, no individual loan at Lending Club is better than any other. 
And I just wanted to sort of, if you could talk about a bit about that, because when, you know, the thing about it is that you have, we have, we have access to all of the data of, of your loan history. And, you know, there's, there's, you can either analyze it yourself in an Excel spreadsheet. You can use one of the tools like nickelsteamroller.com and people look at these at, at your loan history and, and, and find pockets where every say B5 loan is doesn't perform equally and so in the light of your actual history what do you, what do you mean when you say that no individual loan is better than any other no i think the i mean the question is more uh, probably more more nuanced and and more complex than than that i think the the point i was trying to convey is that it's very hard for anyone to consistently pick loans that will perform, that will sort of outperform other loans without taking more risk. Uh, so, I mean, we're seeing sort of investors having higher return than other investors, uh, obviously, but it's generally by sort of investing in, in loans that carry more risk and the risk might or might not materialize and then these investors might, might, might have a better return. But I think the, the important point here, I believe, is that we obviously make a lot of data available to investors so that they have the ability to, um, to sort of see by themselves what, what's working and what's not working. But obviously, we have that data as well. Right, and, right. Uh, we, you have more data than what we have, obviously. <laughs> right. And, and we, in general, we also have a lot more people working on, on uh, sort of risk management and, and, and portfolio management than, than any single investor. And our people are not necessarily dumber than, than, than anybody else. So, so I think the general point is uh, it's going to be hard to sort of consistently outperform the um, uh, the platform because when, when there is a sort of arbitrage opportunity, we see it as well. And our desire is to make the the platform and the pricing as as efficient as possible and to continue to improve uh, the risk ranking power of our models. So we are not we're not sort of creating arbitrage opportunities on purpose. I mean, we have the, 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 the goal is to make it as fair as possible for borrowers. So borrowers will sort of pay the interest rate that's commensurate with their uh, with, with the risk they represent, and, and make it as efficient as possible for investors. So uh, I think over time, considering we we have the data, we have the manpower, and we have the desire to continue to make make the risk ranking as efficient as possible. I think it's going to be hard for any single investors to to sort of consistently find these arbitrage opportunities okay. that, that generally sort of when they appear they pretty quickly uh, pretty quickly go, go away. So even though it, it, it was possible in the past because the, you, you can just go look at the data, you're saying that you know your your underwriting is getting better and it's going to be more difficult going forward. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, and, and that at any point in time you you look in the past and, and see that there there were uh, sort of long characteristics that perform better or grades that perform better on a risk adjusted basis. What I'm saying is the the the, the characteristics that sort of help you discriminate are changing over time because we when we see an inefficiency we correct it as quickly as possible. So my point is an investor would have to be they're very careful about analyzing the data because, again, the, the, the pricing tends to, uh, at least our goal is for, for the pricing to reflect 
uh, the risk. And, and we sort of modify our pricing to again, make it more efficient very, very often. Right. Yeah, fair enough. So, and on that, I mean, me personally, I mean, I've been investing now at Lending Club for over five years. My returns are, are still uh, well over 10%. Um, and obviously I invest in the, in the riskiest, you know, C, D, E, F, and G, those grades. Do you see your interest rates coming down? Is this, is a 10% return going to be possible in three years time? Do you think where, uh, or, or in the, in the interests of really getting more borrowers on and making the, making it more attractive to borrowers? Uh, do you think these rates uh, are going to come down over time? So the way I mean, we, we can't really make sort of projections of, of future interest rate, but the way we think about interest rate is it's, it's a little bit of a regulating mechanism on the platform. So if we if we're in a situation where uh, we have so much supply of capital from investors that they it creates a bad experience because loans get snapped up in within a very short period of time and there's not enough inventory on, on the platform that probably tells us that the rates are too high. On the flip side, if investors stop investing, it probably tells us that the rates are too low. <laughs> so, uh, right. so it's, uh, it's a, right. So, so interest rates is really a, sort of a way uh, for us to sort of manage uh, supply and, and demand. Okay. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So I just wanted to, um, Touch briefly on on some of the new partnerships you've got. I mean, you you announced the the Union Bank partnership at Lendit. Has you know that was over two months ago now. Are you have you made any any progress there? Are they are they investing on your platform? Do you have products coming out through uh, so Union Bank customers can take a loan out through Lending Club? Where where are you at right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the partnership is active. Uh, so uh, Union Bank is uh, an investor on, on the platform, and we are sort of working together to develop sort of innovative solutions for Union Bank customers' uh, benefit. Okay, okay. And then the other partnership that I want to revisit because it hasn't I haven't seen a word about it for a long time is the the Google partnership that uh, the Google investment that was made uh, over a year ago now. And at the time you were quoted in many articles saying that this, this is going to result in new innovative you know, products and, and opportunities at lending club. And we haven't heard anything. So is, is there anything happening? <laughs> Are you talking to the executives of Google or is that, is that, is that, you know, what, what's happening there? Yeah. Yeah, there's been um, there's been a lot happening. Not not all of it is visible or can be announced publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the partnership and the relationship has been very fruitful for I think for both companies. But obviously because of our scale, I think we're we're seeing more of the uh, of the benefit here for for Lending Club. I'm hoping there's a part of that that partnership that will uh, become sort of public over time. But it's, uh, it's it's probably another another year another year out. Okay, okay. Well, we'll we'll uh, wait with bated breath on that one. Well, something that is happening now is um, your small business lending operation. You launched it a few months ago now. Can you can you provide an update on that? How has that been going? Are you uh, you know are you growing that business aggressively? What's what, what's the latest you can say on the on the small business lending? Yeah, we're, we're very excited about, about the uh, small business lending platform. And I, I'm personally very excited because my, my dad was a small business owner and right. I worked at the, yeah. uh, at the grocery store for, for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've seen all the data in this country about small business owners really having hard time to, 
to get affordable credit to uh, to grow the business, make the investments, hire the people there. They, they, they need to uh, to grow the business and and eventually really contribute to growing the economy. So it's uh, it's, re- it's really a major sort of, uh, initiative for us. The the goal, however, is not to is not to grow uh, the platform aggressively this year or all next. We are really sort of taking the time to learn from um, from the market and and sort of adjust the underwriting over time, adjust the acquisition funnel, sort of really fine tune our strategy and to and take it to a point where we okay, we, we feel we can responsibly uh, increase origination. So, for example, the, the retail investors cannot currently invest in, um, in small business loans because we, we we don't have enough data yet right. to uh, uh, to really be able to put a grade on it and and responsibly sort of tell investors uh, what, what what to expect. But we it's as as more data comes in, uh, obviously we would get better at, at underwriting. It's one of the things with with credit and with underwriting is the I mean the, it gets better with more data, but it also just gets better over time, uh, and there's nothing we can do to accelerate. Right, <laughs> you mean, yeah, exactly. The, the you just need the history. Passing of time, so it's, uh, so it's just being patient. But I think with small business and, and Springstone, with all sort of the so two two ways we can uh, we, we will launch new products uh, in the future. Where with small business, it's it's more of a slow build up because we're starting from scratch and starting with no auditable data. While with Springstone, we acquired a company that already had a eight years track record, uh, and so we have eight years of underwriting data, which is as much data as we have for for the rest of the platform. Right. So I think the um, the path to growth is going to be faster. I think over time. Small business is going to be very meaningful, uh, but it's uh, it's it's not going to it's not going to happen uh, overnight. Right. Okay. Well, I, I promised I wasn't going to focus on the IPO in this interview, but I do have one question before you go. The this is a question I've received dozens of times. I'm sure you've re- you know the, the customer service people at Lending Club have received it many many times as well. And that is, is there going to be a way for the average investor who has been with some of them been with Lending Club for many years, like myself, who want to participate in the IPO? Now, traditionally, obviously, IPOs, uh, you get, you have to be a very, you know, in, in with the underwriters to really get a, to get a shot at it. But, you know, there are ways today to make, to make it available to the average person. Is this something that is going to, you're planning to make available to average investors in, uh, in your IPO? Yeah, we're 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 working on it. Uh, so that's my uh, hope and desire that we we we'll find a solution that makes it convenient for uh, for our customers on 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 both sides to um, uh, to sort of buy shares of Lending Club and and really sort of benefit from from the growth, benefit financially from from the growth of the company and and continue to support the um, the company as uh, as shareholders. We're not we're not sort of ready to give. Um, uh, details right now, but it's, it's something we're working on. Okay, great, great. Well, last question. Just wanted to, if you put your future hat on and look into the crystal ball down five years, five to 10 years down the road now, what, what's your vision for the banking industry? Uh, you know, you've, you're talking about how it's really going to be impacted by, by lending club and by the online lending industry in general. I mean, wh- where do you see the banking industry going and what's, what's lending club's role going to be? Yeah, so I'm I'm really hoping we can help transform the the banking industry into a a marketplace, uh, into a sort of highly efficient, 
frictionless, transparent marketplace that sort of operates at a lower cost and deliver a, a better experience than, than the current uh, banking system. And uh, the Chinese Cap would have a sort of leading role into, into that effort. And we obviously won't do it ourselves. I mean, it's, there, there are 6,500 banks in right. the country. Right. And, and that's really the, uh, the, the reason why we're, we have a strategy of extending open invitations to bank, banks that believe in the marketplace model and then sort of look at the data and realize that it is operating at a lower cost and they, they should benefit from it. So, so banks can invest on the platform, obviously, but they, more importantly, they can sort of work with the platform, like, like we're doing with Union Bank, to sort of offer solutions to their own customers and to deliver a, a lower cost and really more enjoyable experience uh, to, to their customers. So I'm, I'm hoping in five to ten years from now, you'll see sort of banks being participants on, on both sides of the marketplace mm-hmm. and the investor base continuing to, to diversify with retail individual investors comprising a, a very meaningful part of, uh, of the investor mix. All right. Okay. That sounds great. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Renaud. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you, Peter. It was great okay. talking to you. Yep. Bye. 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 Well, there you have it. Potentially some good news for investors who are keen to participate in the IPO. Yeah, while Renault obviously did not promise anything, it is good news that they are actively looking at that as a possibility. So before I sign off, I just have one request. If uh, if you enjoy the podcast or even if you don't enjoy the podcast, I would love to hear your feedback. However you're listening to this, whether it's um, through iTunes or Stitcher, please go ahead and give me an honest review. It's very important to me. I read every single review and uh, I like to know what, uh, what everyone's thinking. So on that note, I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.